Guys, I don't know about you, but I love technology. Anybody here love their technology? Yeah, so many fans. I always say, some of you are like, no, I hate it. And welcome, you're, you're going to be in a good spot today. Uh, anyway, uh, I love my Alexa. Anybody have Alexa in their home? Uh, I don't remember how to automatically turn on my lights anymore, like, or how to manually do it. Like, I, I walk down first floor and I'm like, hey, Alexa. And I'm like expecting Alexa to pop on as I say that. Like, hey, Alexa, can you turn on the downstairs lights? And whoop, it's like a magical experience, you know? It's a beautiful thing. So like there's so many great things about technology that just make life better. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you do have Alexa in the house, sometimes it can be a, a marital war zone um, because my wife swears that Alexa likes me more than her. Um, Charity will say, literally she'll say, hey, Alexa, can you turn on the bedroom lights? Sometimes it's nothing. And then sometimes she says, okay, and does nothing. And then I'll immediately say, hey, Alexa, turn on the bedroom lights and whoop. And she's like, you wench, you know? So like it's, it can be a little bit of a war zone, you know, some of that tension back and forth with technology. But uh, technology overall can be an awesome thing, can it? Uh, how many people love the fact that they don't have to be lost anymore? You got GPS on your phone, so there's no excuse for you getting lost, okay? Uh, they, like we can connect with people around the world with FaceTime, you know? I got a good friend from Sri Lanka that I don't know how our relationship our friendship would be able to continue if it wasn't for FaceTime, Skype, all that kind of stuff. We do all our banking online. There's all sorts of great shows. Like technology can be a really, really wonderful thing. But, and here's the big but, uh, it can be incredibly distracting, can it? Anybody, and you don't have to throw your hands up on this one, but have we become de too dependent to the point maybe where <laughs> addiction has started to set in? Like, is that possible that maybe some of us have become so dependent on this technology and phones and devices, tablets, computers, that maybe we become a little bit addicted to it? Now, I wanted to give you some stats about America and how we engage technology, what it looks like in our country. So uh, here's what I found. Uh, in America, according to the health census report, and this is back in 2015, okay? So this is like four years ago. It's probably higher than this. Uh, but for adults 18 to 29, 86% own a smartphone, 50% own a tablet, and 40% admit that they're online almost constantly, almost constantly. On average, roughly 50% of Americans in one study admit to checking their phone first thing in the morning. And that's just adults across the board. When you talk about a younger generation, it's as high as 75%. They go to bed with their phones. They wake up and it's the first thing they look at. It's the last thing they look at. Uh, there's a high level of dependence there. Now, the average American spends, uh, if, if you're talking about adults across the board, the average American spends about 5.5 hours a day on digital media. When you're talking about younger generations, it's as high as 10 hours a day on digital media. 77% 77 of parents actually agree that parenting is more complicated now than ever before in history, largely because of technology. What do you do with that? How, how do you navigate that technological realm with your kids? Uh, and the crazy thing is almost half of preteens have a smartphone. And after that, even teens, you're looking at about 90% that own a phone. Uh, and now, according to a UK study, people check their phones anywhere from about four to six minutes every day. Like every, every four to six minutes, they're checking their phone, which can amount up to uh, 221 times a day. That's crazy. I don't know about you guys. Uh, one study said that, that teens are actually sending as many as 100 texts a day. Now, when you think about the amount of things that we do on our phone, just think about 
like how this spreads out across your life. You ready? If this is you, uh, I think you're going to understand this pretty well. This is all the things that we've consolidated about our life that we now have transferred to our phone. Our calendars are on our phone. How we manage our time. Our cameras, pictures, and videos are on our phone. Our work is on our phone. We communicate with our bosses and our coworkers on our phone. Our workouts and how we manage our workouts are on our phone. Our reading is on our phone. Our writing is on our phone. Our email and our communication is on our phone. We shop on our phone. We check the news. We check the weather. We do our online banking on the phone. Do you know how much of life is spent on that little device in your hands? That's a crazy amount of life on a small little box that glows. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for some of us in this room, and like, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, part of the reason I was really excited about this series is because I'm right there. I'm one of them. I'm one of those statistics. (laughs) I'm addicted to my phone, I'll admit it. Um, And I, I wanted to work through this series even for myself. And I've been working through this stuff for the past month or two to try to get some of it out of my system, to get back to a healthy place. And it's been amazing. But have you ever gotten to the place where you feel like you can't live without your phone? Like you ever been at a new spot and you're like, you realize you don't have your phone. You're like, oh my gosh. You're like checking your pockets. You feel naked because you don't have your phone on you. Some of you are like, wow, you're crazy and really need help. Uh, anyway, look, we can, we can go nuts. Have you ever had that moment? I mean, tell me this has not happened to you where you put your phone on vibrate mode and you think it's vibrating in your pocket, but it's really not. But you've been trained to feel that feeling where it vibrates in your pocket and it's not vibrating. You know what I mean? All right, it's weird. We become so dependent on it. So here's the question. What do we do about this? How do we navigate this in a healthy way? And for us who follow Jesus... What are the principles that we can connect with, that we can start filtering through decisions on so that we know how to engage this kind of technology at a healthy level? What does God have to say about it? So that's where we're going to go. Um, the next five weeks are going to look like this. If you want to throw that picture up on the screen about the next five weeks, I don't even know if we have that. Uh, but here's what it's going to be. Today we're going to talk about a healthy character. What does it look like to engage technology and your soul? How do you get a healthy soul? And then next week, we're going to talk about real rest. We're going to talk about the concept of Sabbath. What is that? How do you really rest? And we're not talking about just not do work like your job, but actually get deep rest inside your spirit. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about undistracted work because we believe that work is a good thing and God actually wants great things for you in your actual workplace and in all the the stuff that you contribute in society. How do you do it undistracted? and at the highest level that you possibly can. And then uh, the final two weeks are gonna be on relationships, not just connections. And we're also gonna talk about wisdom over information. So that's what the, the next five weeks, including today, are gonna look like. I'm really excited about this and really hope that you guys tune in and invite your friends to it because I think, I think it's a big problem in our country right now. Okay, so question number one for today really is what is technology? And how do we wrap our minds around it at a biblical perspective? And then we're going to find out, like, what does it really mean to follow what Jesus' top priorities are for us and how technology fits in that? And how do we really unpack whether we're addicted to this thing or not? So to begin with, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. What did God say about the very beginning of life? (laughs) Now, I don't know about you guys, but he didn't be like, welcome, Adam and Eve, pull out your phone and turn to Facebook. He didn't do that. But this is what he did say. You ready? His first command was be fruitful and multiply, have babies, check, 
That's pretty great. Second one was fill the earth and subdue it. Now, the interesting thing about subdue it is it, it means cultivate. It actually means work with this world, create this world, be, you know, take the raw materials that God put in this world and, and the beauty that he put in it, and let's make something of it. Let's be cultivators. Let's be creators. That's what God said. When he created the world, he called it all very good, but he gave us raw material to do something with it. And so part of our design as human beings is doing something with the raw materials that God has given us and expressing that creativity and making the world a better place. And so, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't deny that when Adam and Eve stepped in and the early humans were in there and they were told to cultivate the garden, it wasn't an awesome day when they came up with the gardening tools. You know what I mean? Like that just made life a lot easier, a lot easier when you get to, you know, rake the garden and actually start doing things at a higher level. And every time we get technological advances, life gets easier. I mean, could you imagine life without roads, you know, or construction materials where we can actually erect buildings at a high level. Every single time technology increased, life got a little bit easier. So the Roman roads made it better for us to be able to transport goods and supplies. When the printing press was made, Johann Gutenberg, right? Uh, that's my history at work. Fantastic. Way to go. Um, anyway, uh, we got information to spread a lot faster. In fact, the Bible got into the hands of so many people all over the world in a huge way because of technological advances in the printing press. And so when we think about technology today, the phone that you have in your hands, this little guy, it's not a problem. This is neutral. This is not a bad thing. And I think there's some people that will go as far as being like, well, it's the devil and stay away from it. Like, that's not what it is. It's a tool. That's all it is. The problem is not having one of these. It's what you do with one of these that matters. Because technology promises that things are going to be easier, but it doesn't promise that things will necessarily be better. And that's what we want to talk about today. Choosing better not just easier. Tools make, it, make life easier. <laughs> I mean, GPS, banking online, all this kind of stuff. Ordering an Uber when you're in a foreign city, that's a great thing, isn't it? It's a great thing. It makes it easier, but not necessarily better. So author Andy Crouch, uh, if you guys are interested in this topic for maybe parenting or families or even in general, I highly recommend this book. Andy Crouch wrote a book called The TechWise Family. It's a brilliant little book, not very big. Uh, so if you're not a reader, it's not intimidating. But uh, this is what he wrote. He said, it's, it's not just a good thing that we have technology. It's not just good. It's very good. But does it, and this is so important, you ready for this question? Does it make me the kind of human being who could contribute something of lasting value to my family, my neighbors, my society, and our broken world. This is what he's getting at. He's getting at, he's getting at character development. And that's the hard work that we've got to come into our technology with. What do we do about our character in not just having this, but using it the right way, okay? He says, without a doubt, compared to human beings just one century ago, we are more globally connected, better informed about aspects of the world, in certain respects more productive, and thanks to GPS and Google Maps, certainly less lost. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, look, I'm a terrible at getting lost, okay? I, like, for about 15 years, I would get lost every time I went into Boston, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone on that one. But he says, but are we more, and this is so important, are we more patient, kind, forgiving, fearless, committed and creative than previous generations. And if we are, how much credit should technology actually receive? And he finishes with this. Because technology is devoted primarily to making our lives easier, 
It discourages us from disciplines, especially ones that disengage ourselves from technology itself. Did you know that social media is designed to be addictive? The way they set it up in the algorithms, it's actually designed to keep you in there as opposed to disengaging from it. Yeah, it makes it easier, but does it make your life better? Now, Jesus promised us that he said, he said, I promise that I've come to give life and so that you could have life abundantly. That's his promise to us. But the question is, do we want to engage that? Now, here's what it comes to. In order to have the abundant life that Jesus has called us to, we've got to embrace disciplines of saying, and this is, this is essentially how disciplines work, saying no to something of a lesser value in order for us to say yes to something of a greater value. This is the way Hebrews puts it. God's discipline, this is Hebrews 12, 1, or Hebrews 12, 11, 10 and 11. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, right? You know, any parents been like, this hurts me more than it hurts you? It's not enjoyable for anybody, Okay. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. It's beautiful. A peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in its way. This is why we discipline our kids, right? If you don't discipline your kids, are your kids happy? Man, they're completely miserable. They're crying out for those boundaries. And if we don't provide discipline, they run crazy. Now, the wild thing is we know that's true for kids, but do we know that about ourselves with this? Have you disciplined yourself to say no more often than yes, so that you can not just make life easier, but better for yourself? Jesus wants to give us abundant life. Now, the big question for us is, how do you know? Like, when you're addicted to this and, you know, how do you say no to certain things so that you can say yes to certain things? I've been reading certain studies about how difficult conversation has become for younger generations. Real conversation, face-to-face. I mean, schools and universities are actually saying it is so difficult to try to get peers to really have full, in-depth conversations with each other because of this. Kids are, are, they're communicating in so many different ways around the dinner table. Like if they're at school, they're sitting around the table with a bunch of their peers and they're half engaging in conversation, half engaging in a text conversation with someone who's not present or maybe around the world. And what they'll do is they'll jump in and they'll jump out when it's convenient for them. And what they're deathly scared about is boredom and vulnerability. Those are the two words that pop up over and over and over and over again. Boredom and vulnerability. They're scared to death of it. And I think a lot of us in this room are. Because if you're like any one of them, and you're like me, you're at the grocery store checkout line, and if you're bored for just a split second, what do you do? You're waiting in line. And you go back and forth to it all the time because in that moment, what we convince ourselves is it's better for me to stay distracted and to constantly engage in something than to face one second of boredom. And if I'm sitting around the dinner table, this is crazy, but a lot of the studies will actually show that they're really scared of vulnerability because you can't manage a conversation if you can't escape. Anybody ever been to a party where you can't escape? You're just like, man, I wish I could just pull that card right now and just be like, I gotta go home right now, but it's too awkward, you just can't do it. Man, this is the escape right here. For a lot of people, they're just like, man, when it gets awkward in this conversation, I'm out. And what they lose in that moment 
is learning the essential disciplines of how to engage with another human being. Listening, empathy, understanding, actually being present with the person in front of you. It's amazing what we've lost. Yeah, it's amazing. And so what we've got to get our place, our heads to is, is how do we say no to something of a lesser value in order to say yes to something of a greater value and embrace this concept of disciplines. And in order to do that, it means that we're going to have to embrace boredom and vulnerability. We're going to have to because people are worth it. And what God wants to do in your life and through your life and someone else's life is worth it. So when we come to technology, we've got to ask ourselves really two essential questions. In this moment, will this help me become less foolish and more wise? And in this moment, will this help me become less fearful and more courageous? That's the character question that I think God wants us to get to when we're using technology and how we engage it in the world around us. And we've got to embrace a certain kind of suffering in order to get there. This is what uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 5. And if you're scared of vulnerability, if you're scared of boredom, this is a great passage for you. Paul said, we can rejoice too when we run into all sorts of problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. When you're at the grocery store checkout line, you're developing endurance when there's 15 persons ahead of you, okay? (laughs) I know it's suffering. Hang in there, okay. Uh, For we can know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us. Did you know that you missed something? When you don't embrace boredom, you're missing something of what God wants to do inside of you and in and through you to the lives of other people when you don't take that moment to just sit. (laughs) You know, I I was thinking about this over the past couple weeks. Um, I've been developing this really fun friendship with another guy at Starbucks. I got my good friend, Gary. If you're watching today, Gary, uh, shout out to you. Love you, man. Um, but this other kid, Pat, who's behind the counter, and anybody who's been to the, the Starbucks in, um, uh, on Daniel Webster Highway, you know Pat because Pat's the man. Uh, like right before I open the door, like when I full, before I'm fully into the store, he's already right, like, what's up, Scott? I love the kid. He's so full of energy and optimism and, and, and all that. Uh, but we never would have had a friendship that's gone back and forth from him giving me some free coffee. Woo-woo! Thank you, Pat. Uh, to me giving him some shirts that are like Team Optimist because we love our optimism. Uh, but that never would have happened if, if there wasn't a moment in that checkout line where I started noticing him and not my phone. I noticed that there was another human being on the other side of the counter and I started asking him questions. When was the last time you were in a checkout line and actually genuinely got to know the person on the other side of the counter? Instead of this. We've got to be able to say no to lesser things in order to say yes to something greater. That's what disciplines are all about. God doesn't want your life to be easier. He wants it to be better. God doesn't want your life to just be easier. He actually wants your life to be better. And in order to do that, we've got to stop escaping into technology. Man, my heart's been ripped out of my chest this whole week when I think about what this does to my kids. Because I said it last week and it just, it it totally burns me. There have been a couple moments over the past couple months where my little daughter Eden, my oldest, will look at me and say, hey, daddy, you got a bad habit because we've been talking about what bad habits are. I'm like, oh man, what's my bad habit? (laughs) She goes, you look at your phone too much. 
have I been saying yes to something of lesser value because I become bored with my kids? Honestly, the more I think about that, it makes me want to cry because I love them so much. So if technology has become a problem, if we become addicted, and if you're like me in this, we've got to ask the question, how do we get to the root of the problem? How do we start drawing it out? Because even if you understand that this is a problem, it's pretty difficult for us to stop it. That's what addictions are all about. It's pretty difficult. So how do you get to the heart of an addiction? And so here's where I want you guys to open up your Bibles to um, Romans chapter 1. We're going to dig in to what, uh, how we understand what sin is and how it works. Because only when we understand it, how it works are we going to be able to understand how to dig at that root and, and pull that root right out. Okay? Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Uh, this is what Paul has to say to the Roman audience about what sin really is. Bad decisions, addictions, okay? In verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, uh, seen being understood by what has been made so that people are without excuse. Let me just explain that for one second. Basically, what God has written into the created universe, the order of the world and how that all works beautifully should indicate to us that this is not an accident. It's not a product of chaos. It's actually made by an intelligent being. So God is saying, that sin and the root of it actually comes from a wrong understanding about the universe. That it wasn't made by God. And sometimes we can, we can operate with a functional atheism, whether you say you're a Christian or not. In the way that you live your life, pretending or living as if God really didn't exist. That's really at the core of it. It starts in a mindset. How does this world work and who's really in charge in every moment? 21 says, for although they knew God, this is the mindset, all right? This is where it shifts from mindset to desires. For although they knew God, they never, neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts, desires, became darkened. Jump down to verse 24. So God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to all sorts of things. This is how it, it, it finishes in verse 28. You ready? So it moves from mindset and how you understand the world, whether it was God who's in charge of everything, starts in your mind, and then it flows into desires. I want certain things now. This is how I'm looking at the world. This is what I want now. And then it flows into behaviors. Now, a lot of churches will start with behavior first and just say, you got to clean that up. That's not where we start. We start with the mind, help you think differently about the world. And then we dig into into desires, what you really want most. And that is what then flows into behaviors. This is what Jesus said when he says, out of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in verse 28 it says, as they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. Behavior. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy and murder, strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips, they're slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. It's a pretty brutal list, isn't it? 
<laughs> what he's saying is this, when you don't understand the world the way that God has made it and that God is in charge in every moment and his love is what's better for you than anything else, when our mindset has shifted, then we're gonna start having harmful desires that are gonna start plunging us into behaviors that are destructive, addiction. That's how it works. Mindset, desires, behaviors. That's how it works every single time. Now, here's the thing about phones with this. Mindset, what captures your attention most of the time? What captures you? Like when you think about what captures your minds, what you're attracted to in your minds, like what is it? Is it God most of the time and what he wants in this world? Or have you just been like lured in by the like endless amounts of ads that are out there saying, man, if you just get this app or if you watch this show or if you get this product, if you watch, you know, shop on Amazon, man, all of that's going to be great. And man, our mindset can just shift into thinking that like this is going to give me life. At the end of the workday, if you're exhausted, what are you tempted to do? If you're like me, veg on your phone. That's a mindset problem. And it leads to harmful desires every single time. But here's the crazy thing, you ready? Phones and screens actually are designed to be addictive uh, and they're designed to be bewitching. You know, some people will talk about the witching hour for kids right before dinner. And what do you do normally as, if, as a parent, if you want some peace and quiet, <laughs> put on the iPad or a screen or a show or something like that so you can finally get some rest in that moment. But here's the crazy thing. We can be so, so drawn to it because the blue light on that screen is captivating. The images and the colors that happen on our screens are actually, they're greater and faster and at a, at a wild pace that actually captures our attention more than anything in real life. One author said it this way, the images on our devices produce a bewitching effect. And that effect is achieved by filling a screen with a level of vividness and velocity that does not exist in the real world. It's purposely edited to never require too much concentration or contemplation. Instead, it grabs our attention and constantly stimulates our desire and delight in novelty, not really depth, lesser things. But in doing so, it gradually desensitizes us as well. Now, what does he mean by desensitizes? He goes on to talk about it desensitizes us from the wonder of the natural world. Anybody else like just heartbroken for the fact that we don't have a whole lot of sandlot sports these days where kids just get out of their homes and they play in dirt piles and with sticks and rocks. I know, all right, all right. I'm not a stone age guy, but like I used to like just go outside in my neighborhood and play with the neighborhood kids. And there was wonder about playing with simple things. I mean, when you watch your kids just enjoy a stick or a, a box, you know, you can get great Christmas presents, but they want to play with a box, you know? Like, I think all of this, this bewitching effect on these screens have actually taken us away from the wonder of creation. When God, in the beginning of Romans here, it said God made plain to us how beautiful he is by the natural created order. And we become so distracted by this that we've missed God as the ultimate author of life and the leader, the one who's got our best in mind. The bewitching effect of screens has led us to lose the beauty of the natural world. And I'm telling you, for you who are parents in this room, when you just fuel your kids with screens, you're taking away a gift for your kids of actually taking wonder in this natural world in ways that they were uniquely meant to do. I mean, when kids face this created world, I mean, we look to kids for the epitome of wonder, don't we? 
when they look at the stars, oh, wow, you know, when they look at the brightness of some of the flowers on the trees, oh, man, you know, like kids capture that better than adults do because they haven't been distracted as easily. Why would we help them lose that sense of wonder by just feeding them with shows all the time? That bewitching effect. We've got to start with a mindset shift that what God has made in this world in a natural way is a beautiful thing. And this is not to say that this is all wrong. It's not. There's a lot of really great things in it, but we've got to feed our kids. We've got to feed ourselves with things that actually lead us to freedom rather than to slavery and addiction. And it is just so easy. And so this, the heart of addiction and the heart of sin really is a desire for a good thing. And this is a good thing. It's a tool. We can use it for great things. It's a desire. This is what Paul David Tripp says. It's a desire for a good thing that becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. When this starts taking over your life, that's when it starts getting unhealthy. And you know it in the moment. Here's the test. When you have a down second, where do you go? When you have a down minute, is that the first thing that you pull out every single time? Look, God's exposed me all week on this one. Take a look at your hopes and take a look at your fears. Where do your daydreams go in that moment and where do your biggest fears come? And do you use this to tap into that? I'm telling you right now, this week, here's my challenge. I was gonna offer it at the end of the message. I'm gonna offer it right now. This is my challenge. This week, when you're in your down moments between things, when you're in the grocery store, when you're at the doctor's office, resist, just resist for seven days this week. Don't look at it. And if you find that it's really hard that you're just like, "Eh, eh, eh," you know, like you want to pull it out so bad, examine your heart in that moment. Why? Why am I so drawn to that? And what am I most afraid of if I don't have it? Take that and, and start looking at it. Now, here's the crazy thing. None of us in this room are ever, ever devoid of worship. We're always worshiping, and that's what God is getting at. When you don't worship God and you start worshiping other things, the created order rather than the creator, that's when things start unraveling fast because our hearts were meant to worship him and him alone. We're all worshipers. Uh, Even agnostic and philosopher David Foster Wallace once said that in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, I've said this before a couple times here, maybe some of you haven't heard it, Uh, there's actually no such thing as atheism. This is fascinating. He said this to a commencement speech uh, in front of a whole bunch of college students. This is an agnostic, not a believer. He said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else that you worship will eat you alive. And he goes on to say all these different examples. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you're never gonna have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beautiful uh, and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they plant you. Worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid and you'll, you'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And man, I tell you what, this is what we do. When we're looking for beauty and feeling like we're better, we post all the best pictures of ourselves on Facebook so that others can see we're beautiful. We want to feel successful. We post the successful things out on social media so everyone can see, man, that guy's successful. Look at my stuff. Look at my vacations. We play these comparison games. And I'm telling you, that's not where real life is found. It's going to eat you alive until you start putting your hope in God. Now, for some of us in this room, 
Maybe you've been burnt by the fact that your parents were seriously distracted on their phones. And some of you in this room, you didn't have parents who had devices because uh, too much time has passed. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you're welcome for that. Um, okay, here's the crazy thing. I want you to know that in the, in the fear that we have of vulnerability and boredom, this is what God did for us. God there's no room for him in his life to be bored. And yet, you know what he did? He created a world in where he could have been bored with us. If you think about that, the creator of all the universe, infinite wisdom, infinite power, infinite. And yet he created a world in which he would interact with people who were finite. If there was ever a case where someone would be bored with something, it would be God being bored over us. And yet he's not bored over us. And if there was ever a case for God to be, uh, to to want to wanna escape vulnerability at all costs, it would be God creating us. Because when he created this world, he took the biggest risk. I don't know if you knew this. When God created the world, he took a crazy risk that he created human beings with a free will that actually had the capacity to reject him and hurt him. And that's exactly what happened. And yet God did not give up on us. He stayed the course because you were worth it and I was worth it. He gave everything so that we would know him. He embraced boredom. He embraced vulnerability so that we would know him. In fact, he was so fully present with us, never distracted on some sort of like a galactic cosmic phone. He was never distracted. God is always present with us. He he promises that if we seek him with all of our heart, we're going to find him. Do you know what kind of promise that is? If you've ever had a moment where you're sitting around the dinner table and you feel like someone's not fully present with you, God is always fully present with you. And he's the most magnificent being in the entire universe and he cares about you. He's intently interested in your life. And he says, I'm always present for you. If mom and dad were not, and they were pursuing all sorts of work and distractions, if they're constantly on their phone, I'm not on my phone. I'm not pursuing distractions because I want you He was so vulnerable, he embraced boredom at such a high level that he put himself in this world in the person of Jesus Christ. He became so vulnerable that he was willing to be misunderstood over and over and over and embrace mockings and misunderstandings and beatings and eventually be put on a Roman torture device known as the cross and die. Why? Because you and I mattered. He was willing to say no to something lesser because you were the greater. He would not live another moment in eternity if it wasn't without you and me. Man, let that wreck your heart. In the moment this week where you're tempted to do this instead of this, remember the God who embraced boredom and vulnerability for you so that you can say no to something lesser and say yes to something greater. Do you know that Jesus wants great things for your life? His heart for you and his heart for me is that we would display the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're never gonna get there until we embrace disciplines and we understand at a heart level that it's not this world that's gonna give us abundant life. It's God. And in that moment when we say no to lesser things and yes to greater things, we're gonna start experiencing him doing something great in our life, making us more present with our kids, 
more present with our friends and our family members and our coworkers, more present with the person across the counter at a Starbucks or a grocery store, and more capable to do something miraculous. It's my belief that God wants to do something great in your life and in my life, but it's never going to happen if we continually put ourselves at the bewitching effect and under the authority of something that's only supposed to be a tool, not a God. So that's our challenge this week. Do you know that you're loved? Period. Do you know that you're worth every bit of God's attention? And if so, how does that change and transform your life? You don't need heart emojis. You don't need thumbs up on Facebook when God has already given that to you in infinite supply. Let's pray. Jesus, my heart today and for myself and my friends is that you would help us, God, to be fully present. We thank you, God, for technology. Thank you, God, that it really does help us become more efficient in our jobs when we use it well. It does give us great moments with family and friends where we can enjoy shows together and not in isolation. God, it does help us get from point A to point B safer. But God, it can be seriously distracting. And we pray, God, that you'd help us to prioritize our soul today and prioritize the souls of other people around us. And I just pray that you'd fill in our minds this reminder of how much we're worth to you. So that in those moments where we're tempted to be distracted and just check out on everything else in life, in those moments, you'd give us the power and the capacity to say no to something lesser so we can say yes to something greater. God, transform us in this series. Use this, God, not to just fill our minds with new information, but I pray that we'd be different people and that the world would look on this group known as the well, that our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, our friends, they would look at us and say, man, these are the people that display more patience in conversations than I've ever met before in my life. They're people who are more loving and more present and understanding. They listen to me in ways that I've never felt listened to before because your gospel is the one that transforms us because of the good news that Jesus listened to us. He was there, he was in our shoes. He died a brutal death so that we would be free. Let that transform us, God. And I pray that it would transform the way we embrace technology, but more importantly, the way that we embrace a relationship with you and a relationship with the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.